You're listening to The Red Car Club with me, Simon Kidney, Sammy Tumitupu, and Dan Leo. This, uh, this week, we're going to talk a bit about the, uh, the dementia story, the litigation story. Um, and Dan, I believe we're, we're, we're joined, hopefully, by, uh, by a good supporter of yours. Do you want to do, do the introductions? Yeah, definitely. Uh, ben, are you, are you there? I am. Hi, Dan. Hi, guys. How are you? Welcome, welcome to Hi, the Hi, Ben. Red Hi, mate. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Ben. No, thanks yeah, very much for having me. Yeah, just by just by ways of introduction, uh, Ben um, uh, is a is a is a trainee solicitor at uh, Morgan Sports Law, who are our partner um, legal providers for Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, um, and doing some really amazing work um, on the um, on the multiple fronts that we find ourselves uh, sort of battling at the moment. So, um, but yeah, we've brought um, I've asked Ben to come on just particularly to talk about this. Uh, this whole, um, you know, this litigation around around the dementia and uh, concussion that rugby sort of finds itself um, amidst, um, and it's really been at the forefront of um, uh, definitely in the media and players' conversations over since since, since the news broke about three or four weeks ago. So really good to have you on board uh, with us, Ben. No, thanks for joining. Forward to getting into it. Ben, uh, thank, thanks for joining us. And uh, a, a, li- a little secret, um, Ben Ben kindly did join us before Christmas, um, but let's just blame our producer um, because it was his fault uh, that it managed to uh, to delete all of our audio files. But Ben, we can assure you that we've got this recording on about seventeen different systems. Um, so so thank you. Did you uh, did you have a splendid Christmas and New Year? Yeah, it was it was nice and restful, which I think is. Um, the most important thing at, at this at this time so yeah it was good thanks and and yourself uh, very, yeah very nice we were just saying before you uh, uh joined us that we're, we're dan, dan was um saying no masks in ours no lockdown nothing and me and sammy are looking forward to uh, the issuing of our independent cages so the government can make sure that we don't venture out anywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm pretty jealous of uh the situation down under i've got family in new zealand as well who are just sort of they're living completely normally and we're uh, stuck inside, which isn't much fun, especially when it's, uh, it's miserable as well. Is, uh, about it. I have my family ringing me all the time. I just keep hanging up on them. From the garage. Before we get into it, uh, Simon, I think we uh, ben, ben has to tell us about his uh, red card story, doesn't he? Is to qualify yeah, for that's, on good. The, that's a good, that's a good point, yeah. Ben. Did you ever get a red card playing uh, rugby throughout your? No, I definitely, I definitely didn't. I, uh, <laughs> I was, I didn't play all that much, and uh, certainly wasn't wasn't big enough and strong enough to uh, throw my weight around enough to get a to get a red card. But <laughs> just just busy defending all of us uh, that, that do, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's the plan. <laughs> Ben, thanks for thanks for joining us uh, again, and I'll I'll save Jack's embarrassment by keep on repeating that for the next twenty minutes uh, and watching him cringe there. Um, just be uh, just 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 in December, um, uh, there was there something something came out in the press around Steve Thompson, um, kind of, a, and a group of seven players. Um, uh, I think it's Richard Boardman who was representing them, um, challenging around uh, this uh, dementia epidemic and, and looking to uh, to take this further. Um, what, what's your what's your initial views and thoughts about about the background and and where it might go? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to say, I guess, is that it's it's a really sad story. Uh, it's, it was really harrowing to to read and to watch the interviews. Of these guys who are who are looking to bring bring legal action, um, you know, it's it's really difficult to see how they're suffering. Um, but the other thing, the next thing is to say is that you know it's at an early stage. I think it was reported that letter, a letter of claim has been sent in, in December, and that's basically the the first thing you have to do if you're um, going to start litigation is is you have to start by by sending a letter to the people you're planning to sue. So it's, it's very early days, but obviously, you know, it has potentially massive ramifications for the game. Um, but, but there's, there's um, a long way to go yet. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's difficult to say exactly, exactly where it will go. Yeah. Ben, um, we sort of all saw the, the film uh, Concussion with, um, um, what's his name? 
Will Smith. Will Smith with, with, with Will Smith in it. And uh, sorry, I think can tell I've had a few concussions myself. Um, but um, <laughs> no, um, um, and some of the stuff that came out on that uh, was really quite worrying about, um, you know, particularly players um, uh, in the NFL, um, their experiences um, later on in life. Mm. Um, obviously, we're right at the early stages of that sort of, you know, this is a follow-on from that uh, in, in rugby union. Um, do you think that this could be in that sort of uh, ballpark in terms of, of, of a movement or what, what are the different sort of similarities? Is, can we expect to see, you know, the similar sort of action in, in rugby? Yeah, I mean, perhaps. There's a, there's a few things to say. I mean, firstly, you talked about the, the way that players suffered later in life and, and actually, you know, some of them suffered quite young and, and, and in the NFL there was, you know, a spate of suicides as well, which was obviously really tragic. But this morning in the Times, I was reading a really interesting story by um, Alex Lowe. It's an interview with the mother of Dan Vickerman, who was the Australian second row who, who took his own life a few years ago. And she, she said in the Times this morning that she believes um, that he, he may have been suffering from CTE. Um, you know, they'll never know for sure because his brain was, uh, you know, no, no one thought to, to perform an examination on his brain post-mortem, but she, she believes that. So um, it, it's clear that it's possible that, that players could suffer in, in similar ways to how they suffered in the NFL. I mean, the guys that have come out in the press already have, have clearly got symptoms similar to those which were being suffered by NFL players or former NFL players. Um, but there's, there's probably four points to make in relation to comparisons with the NFL litigation. Um, firstly, we don't have quite the same class action system in the UK um, as, as they do in America. So, so things would work somewhat differently. Secondly, um, damages, compensation in the US tends to be quite a bit higher than over here. So, you know, the, the figure of $1 billion is often um, banded around quite a lot in, in, in relation to the, to the NFL case. I think it would be surprising if we saw um, a similar figure for a rugby, in the rugby case. Um, that said, you know, we don't know how many players might yet come forward. And that will obviously be a key factor in, determin in determining the amount of any damages or compensation. Thirdly, um, the allegation against the NFL was actually that they, they knew about the dangers of, of concussion and CTE, but they denied them or, or they tried to cover up the evidence. Um, so I think it would be very surprising if, if that was the case here with, with rugby. I don't think there's any suggestion that you know, they were deliberately suppressing um, information. Um, which is what, what was the allegation in the NFL. I think here, really, what we're talking about is more the idea that perhaps they should have done more to find out about the dangers, or, or at least they should have perhaps reacted sooner to the evidence that there was there um, to, to, to find ways of, of reducing the risks of concussion and, and its associated conditions. And just the, the final point is that, you know, the NFL case never went to trial. It was a settlement. Um, under which the NFL agreed to pay compensation um, to, to players who, who suffer from you know, various conditions related to, to their to concussion injuries uh, and also to, to fund further research. Um, importantly, the NFL never actually admitted liability. So in terms of it being a precedent or whatever, um, it's not it's not as easy. It's not as easy as saying, well, you know, that there was compensation in the NFL. That means there'll definitely be compensation here. It, um, it, it's it's going to be a lot more more a lot more complicated than that. Um, but that said, a, a settlement may well be what what we end up with in in the rugby cases. Uh, it would certainly be an option for the players, um, and and it may well be really what what is in the interest of both sides um, because World Rugby, the RFU, the WRU, who are the the parties that have been uh, issued with this letter of claim, you know, it's not really going to be in, in their interest to have it drawn out um, over a long period of time in the courts very publicly. Um, you know, it could be it could be potentially quite embarrassing for the, for the unions. So they won't necessarily want it to, to go that way. And of course, the players, you know, if you go to court for a start, it's incredibly expensive. But also, um, you know, there's risk that they, they might not succeed. Uh, and therefore, it might be thought that, that a settlement is really in the interest of both sides. So 
it's it's certainly it's it's a watch this space situation. Comparison yeah. to the NFL, they're, they're inevitable, but you know you just we just got to be a bit careful about the degree to which we we compare them. Yep, and uh, and, and and then um, Sammy Tuitupo he has been uh, knocked out about uh, twenty five times. Uh, that's just that's just him knocking himself out uh, throughout his career. Um, how how does uh, um, Sammy or any of the other players that are out there that are listening? Um, uh, move forward if they suspect that they do have, um, you know, signs of uh, early onset dementia, or, or even just worried about, you know, the concussions that they have experienced. And yeah, what well, I want to find out. Yeah, sure. I mean, the first thing to say would probably be to to reach out to their, their doctor, their GP, or equivalent. Um, obviously, it's first and foremost a, a medical issue, a health issue. Um, so if, if if guys are worried about it, then then they should they should seek. Um, Guidance from a, from a medical expert. Uh, from from the, the legal perspective, if you know if if players are interested to know more about about the litigation or about you know if they, if they think they might have a have a claim, then of course you know I'd be happy to to speak with them as would any of my colleagues from from Morgan Sports Law. Um, so you know feel free to reach out um, to to us at Morgan Sports Law. Uh, our, our details can be found at morgansl.com. Then it's uh, it's Simon. Just uh, just before Christmas, as you would expect, we had a, a couple of directors of rugby ask for their opinion on what was going on, and there was there was a lot of comment around. Well, well the game's different now; um, it's safer. But actually, players still get repeated head knocks. You know, we saw that with George North, I think, a couple of seasons ago. We see it with places, players week in, week out. Uh, for, from a legal perspective, it, it, is, it, is it acceptable just to say, well, it's actually in the, back in the old days, that's how it was. It's, it's different now, it's better. Or actually, is there still, still a, a massive litigation risk for, for today's current playing climate? Well, the question is ultimately going to be whether the governing bodies have acted reasonably uh, and that. That question, you know, is is one that will be asked in terms of the past, but it also will be asked going forward. So, you know, when we talk about the early days of professionalism, we're asking, well, did they did they do enough given given the state of knowledge around concussion, or should they have done more? And that's that's one of the questions. But then, yeah, looking looking to the present and, and going forward, I think the question will always be, you know, are, are they are they doing what's reasonable? You you can't realistically expect to, to eliminate concussion from from sport um you know it, it's a risk when people are running around and tackling each other it's always going to be a risk there's, there's no way to eliminate it and i don't think anyone would suggest that we could you know even even in touch rugby there is a risk that you could suffer a concussion because you know you could you could uh, fall over trip, trip over and bump into someone and suffer a concussion so no one would suggest that it's about eliminating the risk entirely it's about reducing the risk in a reasonable way. Um, so I think, you know, the current protocols will, will have to be continually reviewed in the state of, uh, it, sorry, it, um, by reflecting on the state of, of, of the developing science and understanding, um, because of course that's going to continue to evolve, you'd imagine. So the more we know, the more we'll be able to to react. But of course, you know, you, the, the, the requirement is only to act reasonably, you know, that doesn't mean that tackling would have to be banned necessarily. Um, you know, it might be that what is reasonable is to reduce the tackle lower, to, to bring it down to the chest, and make make any tackle above the chest height illegal, something like that. I'm just sort of um, making suggestions off the top of my head, but but th- th- that sort of thing is is foreseeable. Whereas you know, I I don't think people need to be too worried about um, you know the game you know being being outlawed or or, or sort of completely completely changing well and, and ben, what's so, sorry sammy just one more what and what's what's you know take sammy tuitupu he's played all blacks he's played uh leinster worcester so where hasn't he been is is probably the question um but he he's now turning out i think for for say lfc or or, or kind of someone in uh, Northwest Division Two, Division Three. What's stopping this manifesting in the community game and saying, actually, I've played here the last season for here. I've had three head knocks. No one recognised it. Um, the, the litigation has to has to start there. Well, I think 
you touched on some interesting points there because the fact that players may have played all around the world is is definitely going to be a, a factor when it comes to determining who the right people to sue are. Because, of course, if, if we say that the buck stops with world rugby, then perhaps that doesn't matter quite so much. But it may well be that the clubs could get drawn into this and the other unions could get drawn into this. Because if, you know, if like Sammy, you've played in, in various different countries, well, you can't blame the RFU for all of all of the, the injuries that you've suffered necessarily. It may be that World Rugby has ultimate responsibility and that could be what, what, what the litigation finds. But, you know, equally, there, there is a potential that clubs would be drawn into this. And then very quickly, you could have one player who's had, you know, maybe five or six clubs. Um, so, so the way that that would be divided, divided up would become quite, quite, uh, quite complicated quite quickly. In terms of the, the lower leagues though there is also a distinction to be made between you know the the top professional game and and, and lower league rugby um and there are probably two distinctions firstly in terms of the the level of risk i think it it, it it's probably fair to say that the level of risk is higher in the professional game because there's more more matches probably more training sessions you know you're, you're in every day um, and also people are going to be bigger, stronger, quicker. Therefore, the collisions are going to be of greater force. Therefore, the risk of suffering a head injury is probably higher. I'm sure the statistics would bear that out. At the lower, at the lower end of the game, I don't think the risks are quite so high. Um, so that would, of course, affect any possibility that the lower league clubs might be liable. But also there's the distinction in the level of care that would be reasonably expected of those clubs as compared to um, clubs in, let's say, the Premiership. Because obviously, if you're a professional club with uh, a professional club's resources, then what is reasonable for you to do might be, you know, to go further than what would be reasonably expected of a, of a club in, in um, one of the lower, lower leagues. So there's, there's various issues there. Uh, and uh, like I say, it, it's, it's a complex issue. It's a complex case. And... Um, you know, this is why I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. Um, and there will be lots of different facets to it as it goes on, I'm sure. Sammy? No, you, you pretty much uh, said what I was going to say, Simon. But um, just, just another thing for me. Um, you talk about sort of um, making the game safer in that um in terms of you know what what they what we need to do um what i find now watching rugby uh which frustrates me um even if i was playing is that any sort of knocks to the head or or some sort of uh where these big collision the player some players have to go off whether they've shown any symptoms of sort of you know if whether they've taken a knock to the head they've they've had to go off for an hia and for me as a player uh, I would be really dis- well frustrated that I've had to go off, even though I didn't really feel that I've I've had a had a pretty you know bad knock or had a concussion. So it's it's kind of hard to sort of um, like for me it sort of ruins the game a bit because you know for a guy you know you got two guys who's taken a big collision and some guys had to go off and you know one guy's probably seeing that he's had a bit of a, uh, a concussion and he's a dizziness and he's gone off and the other guy hasn't. But they've sort of both said sort of had to go off. So for me, how do you, you know, you talk about safety in that, but there's obviously got to be um, some sort of measure to sort of support in terms of when the player has to go off. Because nowadays yeah. he's ordered to go off. Yeah, I mean, I, I, all, all of these changes have been brought in to try and improve the 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 safety of the game and to better protect players. And I think one of one of the important points is that you know symptoms of concussion don't necessarily appear immediately. Yeah. Um. And so there's always a risk that if you don't take someone off who's taken a big blow to the head, that they may well develop symptoms later. Um. By which point it might be too late. You know, they might then suffer another head impact, which could have devastating consequences. Um, so I, th- I think you know the, the the most sensible and the most player uh, centric way of dealing with it is to if there's if it looks like there's a risk that the player might have been concussed um, because of the scales the you know the, the size of the impact then it seems it seems sort of reasonable to to err on the side of caution and, and remove players from the field um, at least at least to do the the head injury assessment and that's ultimately the the reason that was introduced is to encourage 
um, medics and, and teams to, to take players off when there's a chance they might have suffered a concussion, give them a, a, a proper assessment and then make a decision rather than having to make the decision, you know, uh, immediately and permanently. Uh, and that, this is something that football's wrestling with at the moment is how to deal with concussion substitutes. And, and rugby has been a, a long way ahead of them in terms of in terms of that issue. And I can appreciate that players would be frustrated. But I think another key point is that it, it needs to, in many ways, be taken out of players' hands because, for a start, players are always going to want to play. They've got pressures on them to, to you know, as yeah. to why that that's the case. And also, you know, if you've suffered a concussion, to, to put it simply, you might not be thinking straight. So it's really important that that um, the doctors um, take take a, a cautious approach. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, thanks for that, Ben. That's really insightful. Um, lots, lots, and lots to unpack there, um, which we'll do um, over the next fifteen or twenty minutes or so with all of us. But really appreciate it, mate. So just, just while I've got you here, mate, and on a totally different um, subject from the uh, concussion and, and dementia stuff, um, mate. Um, Obviously, Morgan Sports Law have come on board um, as, as as partners to you know legal partners to civil rugby players. Well, can you just explain to us a bit um, from a personal level and probably from an organisational level what, why um, why you guys were so keen to get involved with uh, with um, PRPW? Yeah, well, as I think I said to you last time we spoke, you know, from a personal perspective, I've been following your work for for a long while now, um, and and I've been keen to see how I could help you guys out. At, Pacific Rugby Players Welfare. So it's really great that we've been able to, to become PRPW's official legal partners now. But as a firm, um, our focus is on protecting athletes' rights. So it, it's a really natural fit for us. Um, Pacific Rugby Players and Pacific Rugby more broadly have, have not been getting a particularly fair deal for, for far too long. Um, and so it's, it's great to be able to support them, uh, particularly as, as the game becomes increasingly professional. And um, you know, as, as we see, there's there's so many issues that, that are affecting the game right now, whether it's from the governance to, to the player welfare issues, and then of course, right down to the contracts that players are signing. So yeah, it, it's really important that, that uh, players are able to get this support and, and we're delighted to be able to uh, to, to, to uh, work with Pacific Rugby Players Welfare. Ben, what, um, what, what's it like to work with such an inspiration as Daniel Leo? <laughs> it's great. No, it's it's it's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to, to help Dan out, and uh, he does a fantastic job. Uh, he really, really does, and it's it's often a thankless task, I think. But you know, it's so important that someone's doing doing what you know what, what he is, and uh, yeah, he should uh, he should be praised for it. Well, mate, as, as he yeah. <laughs> I think it definitely makes my job easier knowing that we've got our uh, backs covered legally. Um, <laughs> some of the stuff that we have to say, you know, because as you say, um, you know, some of it can be uh, deemed as pretty controversial at times. But um, hey, we, we are where we are, and we've got to do what we've got to do. So really appreciate you guys, uh, Morgan Sports, and you particularly Ben for for everything that you do for us. And thanks again for your time, mate. No, not at all. It's uh, the, the concussion stuff is, is something I could talk about for, for hours, but um, hopefully, you know, we've uh, had an interesting chat. Yeah, certainly. Thanks very much for thanks very much for joining us, Ben. And um, I know that Jack's going to send you a, a handwritten letter apologising for being a doofus last time. So. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's, uh, my pleasure. Rugby. We talk about the RPA a bit, don't we? And um, the RPA have been criticised quite heavily for, for pretty much staying silent in this concussion um, challenge. Sammy, this is probably a question for you, actually. You're, I believe you're a rugby agent. I mean, you keep it quite quiet, but I believe you're a rugby agent. What, 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 what can agents be doing? What, 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 what more can we need to do? Well, I think we need to uh, make... Um make them more accountable, to be honest, make it more, we need to sort of start pushing it more out, out there. Um, because at the moment, um, you know, everything's all in the hands of the RFU, RFU or the PR or the uh, RPA. Um, and as, as an agent, there's nothing much you can really do. Um, you know, the boys are got to sort of make a stand for it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the uh, Players Association that sort of puts those protocols in place. Is there, but is it, Dan, is there a risk here that a player says, you know, take one of Sammy's players 
Um, and I think we've got at least four on our books now. So take one of Sammy's players and say, actually, your job, Sammy, as my agent, was to look after me. And under your custody, you didn't do that. Is there, is there a risk there? Uh, oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I think um, I think yes. I think um, anyone you know anyone that's um, claiming look at the fear in Sammy's eyes. Look at the fear in Sammy's eyes. I think anyone that's claiming to work in that welfare space, be it clubs, uh, you know, uh, national unions, agents, ourselves as players or uh, representatives and uh, associations, have. Um, have all got to you know to 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 really look hard at ourselves and what role uh, we've got you know we can play in in this, and ultimately protecting players has got to be at the forefront of of all of those organisations. I think um, you know, and it's we can't be pointing the finger and saying yeah. look the sole responsibility lies with the RFU or the clubs. Um, you know, it's 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 got to be you know, it's got to be a combination. I think of of all, of all of those because um, you know the resources. Um, that are needed to to really you know look into saying and, and um, Ben mentioned uh, and we mentioned uh, Dan Vickerman um, in the in that conversation we just had with Ben um, you know we need you know to, to actually be able to study somebody's brain it takes you know and, and to the level that they did in the NFL with the with the play with the the, the, the players there that took their lives and, and what they found out about dementia is a, is a, is a massive, massive undertaking. And, um, you know, that was in their defence. The RPA came out at the start and said, look, we just don't have the resources to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, get the quality of, uh, of of data around this that we need to to actually make um, informed decisions. Um, so that's probably got to be the start, you know, is, um, you know, um, you know, pulling together, and actually, rather than seeing each other as, as you know, as you know, ooh, you know, who's pointing the finger at me, and and, and, as, and being divided, coming together, and actually working with one another, all of those groups that we just said to try and, and better the the level of protection that is being currently offered to players that probably you know has been lacking in the past. You've um, you've both played down the levels a little bit. Um, you know, down to National One, down to National Two. I'm not sure where London Cornish were, Dan, but they were they probably Nat One, Nat Two, level, weren't they? Level seven, level seven. Now we uh, were we were London London Two. So from it, London it's, One. It's, it's good you drop down the levels until you find your level. I see what you've done there. <laughs> the, 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 still uh, a level too high for me, mate. There were some serious but, players down in London Cornish. Pick, farmers picking picking a bit up what Ben said. Actually, is there more risk in amateur rugby because you've got a, an ex-Samoan international with flailing arms, knees, limbs going everywhere. You've got a 16-year-old scrum half in his first first game of professional rugby. That Dan Leo's had to walk through a forest and get his boots muddy to get to the pitch. Now um, he's angry. And decides actually in the first 30 seconds he's going to give it a shot. Is, is there more of a risk there? I think so. And that was interesting yeah. that uh, Ben brought that up, you know, saying that, well, at the top level, you know, obviously players are bigger and stronger. The collisions are, that makes sense that there's more force in those collisions. But then it, from from my understanding around concussion was that it's a lot to do with neck strength. So if you're, yeah. if you're in the gym five days a week, strengthening your neck, then surely you're protected more than somebody yeah. who's just picking up rug, a rugby ball on a Saturday and works in an office from nine to five every every day of the week. So um, yeah, lots of, lot, probably lots more questions than answers around that. I thought it was particularly interesting what you brought up, Simon, in terms of players that may have played professionally but may have had three or four concussions while they were playing amateurly. Or say, you know, Sammy, Sammy here who's played a couple of seasons of rugby league, you know, and, and, and who's, 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 who's to, you know, who's to say that, you know, um, the world rugby should pick up, you know, the bill on the concussions that he got playing a totally different sport. All of those uh, grey areas that they probably didn't have to deal with in the, in the NFL um, make this conversation in rugby union incredibly um, uh, tough. So yeah, it'll be it'll be I'll, I'll be really interested to to know what sort of time frame um, from obviously that letter that Ben mentioned being lodged to start that process. How long that will possibly take before it actually you know if ever eventuates in the in the courts themselves. Does this does this start in the in, in mini and youth rugby uh, and the fact that we've got um, coaches in mini and youth rugby that have probably done their level one ready to coach rugby qualification and watched five England games 
uh, and, and they're trying to teach a tackle. Is this, does it start there? Does it, does it go all the way back to that? You know, how do we know that kids are tackling correctly um, yeah. and not getting concussed early? I think, I think, I think Simon, um, yeah, I, I agree, you know, and actually, you know, the talk about lowering the tackles, you know, I, I only got con- concussed probably a, a, a small amount of times compared to most most players, you know, and I, um, as a player, and I attribute a lot of that to my height and the fact that my head was a lot higher than, you know, mm-hmm. the, the level of most people's heads. It's, yeah. so, it's those upright head-on, head-on head clashes, but that can happen the very same, you know, three of the probably five concussions that I remember experiencing were, were making low tackles. And yeah. you know, hitting and hitting, uh, hitting heads on knees or hip bones. Hip bones is is, is a really bad one because most players, you know, particularly the Islanders, we you know, when they straighten up, they run into you with their hip, and that's where you know, and that's where you, that's where you get the bump off. The bump off isn't from the from the thighs or from the from the forearm, as people expect. It's when you really throw your hip into the contact. And if you if your head hits. Um, it's uh, a hip at full force, mate. You're, you're gone. It's like being, you know, it's like being hit, hit by Mike Tyson, but with a, with a, you know, with a concrete fists. So it's, it's, it's. Oh, I don't see the lowering of the tackle is going to help the situation. Uh, if, if anything, it could make it worse. Increase it. Yeah, I, I think the same thing as well, Dan. Because if you look at most players, or if you look at tens, tens who can't tackle, they tend to tackle up high. And then the, the moment you get them to tackle low, when they do tackle low, they knock themselves out. So everyone's more confident to tackle up high because because they're not, they don't want to. They're too scared to tackle low because as soon as you start tackling low, you're running into, like you said, you're running into knees, you're running into hips, you're running into elbows. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of the concussion is coming from. Uh, you look at rugby league, you know, you get a lot of boys tackling up high and the moment, you know, one guy's tackled low, that's where he's going to get knocked out. And, and you know, yeah, guys right. are quite big and strong. Um, and, you know, if guys are, if you're trying to tackle low and boys are coming down low with, for their, their full weight and their full body, you know, strength and that, that's where you're going to get a lot of the, uh, the impact. So I agree as well. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's right. You know, and, um, you know, the one, the one international player, that Jonah Lomu never knocked out, was George Gregan. And you look at every tack time George Gregan tackled Jonah Lomu, he didn't tackle him, try and tackle him anywhere around his bootlaces or the knees. He jumped up and straggled, straggled him, you know, yeah. jumped up onto, almost onto his head and almost pulled his jersey over his head. And, you know, the, the sort of like a judo stuff, that, that'll be deemed a, a yellow card now. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, because of the points of entry, you know, and the, fa- the fact that he hasn't tried to make a, a low tackle. And, um, yeah, it is. It just opens up a massive can of worms. So, I mean, as you say, that doesn't just – that's not just experience at the top of the game. That'll be filtered all the way down to to the way that juniors uh, are, uh, are being coached. And, you know, is the answer actually less contact? Rugby. The risk is now is that we take all contact – for you know, under at schoolboy level, out of the game, like similar to what they did at scrums in Australia. Here in Australia, they depowered the scrums. They said, "Look, we're not going to push, have any contested scrums at schoolboy level." It just meant that when players got to senior level, it was the first yeah. time that uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were full, full contact scrums, and, and, and it was unsafe. You know, so they've gone back to having schoolboy scrums because props have to learn that art while they're young and light so that they can manipulate their weight and learn how to scrummage. You can't just learn that um, when you're when you're when you're twenty or twenty-two years old. You know, that would probably be more negligent than actually allowing kids to do to do contact yeah. in, in the right way, in a controlled way. Yeah, so yeah. Um, and I think you look at rugby league, rugby league they start tackling at a younger age. Um, and then when you look at uh, rugby, they pretty much play tag uh, to a certain age. Um, but you see the confidence in, in the kids tackling um, at their same sort of maybe sort of 15, 16. You can tell the difference between the players that have played rugby league and the players who have come up through playing tag rugby you know, in the rugby environment. Um, yeah. the, the confidence of the, the league players have in terms of tackling because they've been taught that at a younger age and they've grown up with that confidence of, of tackling. Where, yeah. where I mean, rugby what, 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 sort of... Exactly. Yeah. What do you what, what what do you guys think the solutions are? I mean, for me, I like the in terms of a game and making the game safe for principal. I think the HIO protocols and that are probably as 
as almost as refined as they can get. But I think in terms of the game itself, I like the idea of the possibility of scaling back the size of players. Yeah. And this, a bit like what idea, they do in New Zealand. Yeah. In New Zealand, they play uh, age grade, but then they go weight restrictions. Weight, weight yeah. restrictions. Yeah. And, or even, and even, yeah, most even kids in that grow differently, level. you know? Exactly. And even at that open level, the possibility of maybe having three or four subs instead of what we have at the top level, eight. There's now uh, eight eight subs at, at international and professional uh, level. Uh, I think it's too much because it allows guys to be huge and not have to be able to play 80 minutes. If you reduce that down to – and that was what I, I found difficult in uh, playing in the national uh, in the national one for Bishop mm-hmm. Stalford. You know, and and um, we we had a, a few high subs, but it wasn't it wasn't eight? I think it was six or seven. And then when I went down to London Cornish, you're only allowed three subs, three subs at at, 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 at level seven uh, England. And actually, it meant that the you had to be able to last eighty minutes. You had to be quicker a little bit. You know, you couldn't be 150 kilos and and play 80 minutes of rugby even at level seven. So I think that's something that really should could probably be considered. At, at every level of rugby to try and reduce the size. If size is a problem and that force um, that's being generated in the contact areas, then maybe that's one way of, um, of reducing that. What do you think, Simon? I'm, I'm still not sure we've got the... <clears throat> if you if you enter mini rugby at six and you play till 18, you could potentially have no more exposure than three coaches. Um, none of those coaches might have ever played rugby. Uh, and if you think about that transition of a rugby player, you know, if you don't play at school, say you go to a school that plays football in the winter, it, and there's not enough observation of those coaches, there's not enough education. I think the RFU do a reasonable job of uh, head case CPDs, but actually you don't have to go and do it. You know, you're, you've just got the word coach on your back and you're a coach. So I'm going to look at you as a coach and think, well, you know how to tackle, teach me how to tackle. And you might have done that course that teaches, you know, ring of steel, cheek to cheek, and that's it. And that's the only only kind of tackle education you get before you enter the adult arena and, and you're playing against a real pissed off Dan Leo. Yeah, and that's, that, that to me is a, is a challenge. It's a, it's a big challenge and, it, and it's a big risk. And, you know, we've all played a level where we've seen kids come into the game and you think you're going to get hurt. You're going to get really hurt because your head's the wrong side or you're not only brave, but you're a bit stupid. Or you've got a number eight, you know, that's retired from semi-professional rugby that still likes to beat kids up. And the education thing is is, is a big issue. Is that the, the amount of mini and junior rugby kids that play on a Sunday because let's be frank it's a cash cow for rugby clubs and the lack of investment into coaching is a real big issue real big issue you've seen it Dan you'd have seen it you know you've got examples of some good clubs but we've we've all seen it as some examples of some real challenging spaces where that's not a coach that's a bloke that's watched Johnny Wilkinson once and think yeah I'm coach Carter yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the nature of rugby, you know. Like for the first uh, five years of, um, of 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 my rugby playing, my my dad was a coach, you know. So you know, and he had no, you know, that's that's really is it's, it's it's how how high, how heavily do we want to re- or do we need to or do we want and do we want to regulate this? Because you know, um, you know, for, for, for a lot of those, you know, for my dad, it was all about the enjoyment. He came down not really because he cared about whether we won or lost. It was about the social aspect of it, and I guess the risk in trying to, uh, you know, in, in, in educating is that we take, is that we do that, and we take, and we take the fun, and we lose the essence of why parents, predominantly, and, and probably teachers as well, uh, want to to coach schools, uh, you know, young young children. Um, you know, and again, it's, you know, we, we talk a lot on this show about the values, the values of rugby. You know, you don't have to have any qualifications um, around anything to, to have those values and be able to pass those on to kids. But when it comes to dealing with concussion and, 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 and you know, the, the, the effects of that, maybe there does need to be some some sort of uh, education process around that. But it's just, yeah, it, it's, again, you know, if, if we can't get it right here in, in England, which is the, rich, the richest union, um, you know, with the, the most resources to be able to invest into, um, you know, community uh, and, 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 and children's rugby, then how the heck are we going to get it anything like, 
close to that done in any of the other nations. You know, look, Samoa, we, you don't play any organised rugby until you play high school, uh, go to high school in Samoa. So you don't even have any coaches. It's just backyard rugby. But I can guarantee you, if you went to watch a game of backyard rugby and those village kids, there's no referees, no coaches, they all know how to play and they're all probably getting, you know, you'll probably see three or four concussions a game. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you stop that? But oh, you, it's just... you, you make a good point though, Dan, don't you? You talk about the richest, richest rugby union in the world, but a rugby union that's just let half of its community coaches go and therefore that's going to be derogatory to the education piece, surely. I, I, and, I, and that's, I think, possibly the, the line that the players will take who are suffering from concussions actually has the, has, have, has the union, in this case, we're talking about the RFU, invested enough into those, you know, that grassroots to make the game safe. Maybe that's, you know, I'll be surprised if that isn't a pretty strong uh, uh, part of their argument, you know, because as Ben said, you know, it's looking at the bigger picture of, you know, of negligence really. And if, if enough has been done, given what we know, and, you know, um, I, I think that's, that's a real, you know, if, 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 you, if, you, if you, if you invest, you know, this could be a, a massive, massively um, detrimental, um, you know, uh, blow to, 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 to the unions for, for the, for this, what we've seen over the last 18 years, where so much of the money that's been generated has been invested into the top into you know, the England rugby team yeah. into the premiership, but not enough down into grassroots. And maybe this is a, a result of that, um, but I guess we'll see. In the news, rugby. Let's uh, let's let's start with the hot topics. Um, COVID. Should should we reschedule games or should we be dishing out points? Me personally, I think we need to just cancel the whole thing, mate. <laughs> well, the whole thing. Cancel rugby. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at it like the the you know you got. The two games being cancelled here. The games are just going to get postponed, and more players are going to be playing more. Um, you know, we just need to like really harden down on on. Well, the government doesn't help because they just need to sort of, you know, make a make a decision and go with it. Because at the moment, it's just every man for himself. <laughs> from from what I'm looking at, but you know. For me, I feel privileged that I'm still being able to go and, and help out at sale to be able to, you know, watch some games and that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're putting a lot of people at risk, you know. Um, I don't know about you. You look at Australia and New Zealand, Dan. Um, you guys are still playing, but... How- yeah, this, well, the season's, the season's stopped here anyway, the professional season anyway. You know, there's a, there's a pause now in Super Rugby. Uh, the international windows closed, so there's a natural stop to the season here anyway. Uh, I, I tend to agree with that, um, Simon, with uh, what um, Sam said. And I just think there's been too many fixtures that have uh, been, uh, been unfulfilled. And, you know, they've changed the points allocation at the start of the season. You know, they were giving, they were making, you know, games, awarding uh, 28 nil. Yeah. Uh, points differences and then they changed it I just think it's yeah it's, it's a bit of a free for all and I'd be, I'd be pretty, pretty aggrieved if I was the team that got um, that got relegated at the end yeah. of the season based on the fact that they're probably never even being able to put out their first string side um, you know consistently enough to ever get going so yeah agree is that is that, a, is that a reasonable legal concern for Premiership Rugby if someone gets relegated or they don't because the championship never gets off the ground. But then does Saracen say, we didn't have the opportunity yeah. to be promoted. So you owe us X amount of millions of quids, Premiership Rugby. Yeah, I don't have much uh, sympathy for Saracens. I think they are where they are for, for a reason. And if that's a result of where they've found themselves, then that's the result of what, the, you know, what the, of, of their actions, um, you know, you know, it's just yeah. I, I think um, I'm not I'm not a fan of ring fencing the Premiership, but I think for this particular year, or maybe even you know, two season or the next two, uh, however long it takes to return to normality, I think um, you know, as I said, I'd be pretty aggrieved if I was to be relegated. Yeah. But yeah, you can sort of see that sort of point of view from Saracens as well. But it is what it is. They just went right down in the wrong year, uh, you know. Yeah. Sammy, new Tongan CEO. What are your thoughts? Mate, I think I think it's awesome, mate. Um, it's um, I think things have been, you know, 
going in the right direction. Um, but, you know, it's only just the start. Um, I think there's still a lot more work to be done there. Uh, but I think Harding's going to um, do a good job there. He's been around with, with Tonga for a few years now. So I think he's the right man. Uh, we couldn't ask for anyone better. Um, but he just needs the support from everyone else. And, you know, we need to still keep keep working at it just because we've, we've got a new CEO. We just need to uh, make sure the rest of the board and that um, are on the same wavelength. And, you know, we're all looking towards the same uh, same goal at the end of the day. What I, what, I, what I'd add to that is this guy, Pete Harding, who's just been appointed as the Tongan CEO. He's an Australian, uh, you know, he's, he's Aussie, Aussie through and through. But um, what's different about this, about Pete, and I know Pete quite well, is that he has actually moved to Tonga and lives there with mm-hmm. his family for a number of years really embrace the culture. So it's not like what we've seen in the past is World Rugby have flown in these uh, these consultants or coaches to come in who, who paid a, you know, a heck of a lot of money. Uh, just see Tonga or Samoa as a stepping stone to, to other opportunities. I don't think this is the case with uh, this guy, Pete Hardy. He's really embraced Tonga as his home. Uh, you know, his kids speak the language. Um, and, you know, I, I wish him all the best. I think it's a great uh, appointment for Tonga rugby. Cole, Cole Sinclair um, sw- swore a little bit. <laughs> we've we've talked about um, low tackling low. Cole Sinclair was quite aggrieved at Lou, uh, Luke Cowan Dickey's um, an- ankle tackle. Um, might have said a few unjust words to uh, uh, to the younger of the Dixon brothers. Um, what, a a what what what's the repercussion at swearing at the ref or kind of swearing in conversation to the ref? Uh, and B, what, did it look like a genuine tackle to you, Sammy? Well, you can argue that because obviously you see all these other tackles that they deem as reckless. Would that be a reckless tackle as well? Would Should that be a, a yellow card? You know what I mean? Just because he's not making contact with his shoulders and that. But, you know, you know, you see so many guys who, who get um, – massive injuries or even, you know, long-term sort of injuries from, you know, from, from the knees and that, then do you class that as a reckless tackle? And, you know, I do, but at the time I was cracking up and laughing when I heard that. I couldn't believe it as well. But, you know, I'm sure that's something Dan would do as well. I didn't see, I don't see it. Um, they don't show the premiership over here, unfortunately. So I see bits and pieces uh, on, on Twitter. But um, yeah, uh, anyone that's, you know, says that sort of thing. I mean, Carl Dixon, uh, I remember him as a player at halfback at Quinn's. He was, uh, you know, he, he he had some choice words for referees at his time. So, <laughs> so him coming down and with any sort of penalty would have been, you know, but uh um, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a mockery, but uh, yeah. No, I tell you I what, Simon, you go to Japan, mate, and you see the Japanese tackling like that all day long, mate. <laughs> they love ankle breaking the uh, tackles, mate. Is I mean, it's, uh, I guess the serious point is, <clears throat> you could suggest it was reckless or not. Although Luke Cowan-Dickey has not been cited, and uh, Cole Dixon on the pitch said, "Yeah, uh, attempted to wrap his arms." Although I'm not sure you can wrap your arms around an ankle too easily. Carl Carl Sinclair in the heat of the moment has said to the ref, you're effing joking. Um, Carl has then taken him up uh, when the game stopped. I think the ball went out into touch uh, and said, you know, swear at me like that again and you'll be in the bin. Is is it that point he's been dealt with because then he's subsequently been cited or are we trying to just say actually in rugby we don't swear, which is which is just ridiculous? Or you can't say you know where, where does where does that where does that 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 problem addressed? At what point are we saying actually he's dealt with it on field? That should be the end of it. I, I, I think the referees have just got to deal with them themselves. You can't have yeah. the siding commission coming in for, for language, you know, because where does it stop? You know, does somebody who's on the other side of the field that couldn't get heard by the referee, but is picked up by a crowd member, you're going to start citing them. Uh, just again, it opens up a massive can of worms. I think let the referees, you yeah. know, do it. I watched, you know, you saw Nigel Owens do it very uh, gracefully over a number of years, put the players in their, you know, in their rightful places at times. And that's for me is, you know, has got to be done by the, the referees. We can't be outsourcing that sort of thing to the commissions. Yeah. Yeah. 
every time you have a sighting commission gathered, you get you get a three person panel. They usually, they obviously, you know, there's a cost involved with that. If you're going to start doing that, it's, again, it's money taken away from where it really is needed in the game. To you know, and ultimately, the ones that win are the lawyers. As in life. It's, um, it's worth noting that Carl Sinclair went on Twitter actually on Saturday night, I think it was, and said, look, heat of the moment stuff, apologies, hands up. For me, that's enough. That's absolutely yeah. enough. Otherwise, we're, we're going to have sighting officers sitting with vaccination guys doing it 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. <clears throat> um, last one, uh, and we might touch on this in the future or have touched it in the past. Uh, Alexander Sintersale? Um, there's the rumours, mate. There's, uh, there's the rumours at the moment. Um, you're sitting there mate you're sitting there has he been in or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he's, he's he's a boy from the north so um, you know if he does uh, he'll be massive for sale um, you see his uh, his coaching history at, at, at Saracens he's, he's done a pretty awesome job there um, and I think he'll be well suited for up here if, if he does come if it is correct Dan any thoughts Saracens fans through. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was a good player, and uh, him and his brother, and uh, you know, had got fond memories of them, you know, and, and it's it seems like an ob- obvious, uh, you know, point in sales sort of journey to you know to be to be moving moving up, and, and who better than someone that's been there and done that, and you know, knows what success looks like. I think is is key. So you couldn't ask for for for, for you know any better pedigree than that. Um, and yeah, exciting times for for sale, mate. Um, you know, um, let's hope that they uh, don't cancel the uh, the rest of the season up there, as uh, Sammy suggests, just so that we can continue seeing them uh, rip up on the field. Eh? Sammy, I can only 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 assume that you've not handed in your CV, gents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam's just sick of washing the washing the uh, the kit, mate. Right? <laughs> he does a he does a grand job. What are you talking Jets about? Is... That's where I come do my um, uh, wash my family uh, all the sheets in there here too, mate. <laughs> family washing. All right, that's enough, boys. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. As always, it's been entertaining. Um, Dan, send our thanks to Ben as well. Uh, great to have him on. Um, and look forward to catching up with you boys uh, over the next week or so. Cheers, boys. Good to see you, Cheers, boys. Fellas. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Red Card Club. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else you might find your podcasts. This podcast is rugby. Thank you.